Collecting, researching, and preserving your family history is challenging work. As museum professionals, we get it. What do you do with all those old photographs, your mother's silverware, or your wedding gown? How do you record the stories that have been in your family forever, before it's too late? The St. Catharines Museum wants to help you with these questions. We're offering four two-hour workshops to help you figure out how to organize and care for the information and materials in your family collections. The St. Catharines Family History Workshops are presented by the St. Catharines Museum staff. Registration is $10 per session, but space is limited. Our next session is Saturday, March 31st, and is all about researching and archives here at the museum. So, register today by calling the museum at 905-984-8880. Now, on to Museum Chat Live. Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to Lauren, public programmer at the St. Catharines Museum, and Sarah, also public programmer here at the museum. We're recording today's podcast at the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Centre, which we acknowledge is part of the traditional territory of the Neutrals, Haudenosaunee, and Anishinaabe peoples, and adjacent to the Six Nations of the Grand River. Books and Brews is the museum's book club, and we are very excited to present three very modern, very Canadian novels to read this year. We are also very excited to welcome local brewery Lock Street Brewing Company to join the book club and provide some wonderful beer to taste and enjoy during our book club meetings. In addition to all that goodness, Sarah and I will be producing three study guide podcasts to help you get ready for discussion and to show you some of the amazing historical connections to be found between the novels and the history in our own backyard. Before we get into today's episode, we need to talk a little bit about our first book, Company Town. Here's the official synopsis. Meet Hoa, one of few in her community to forego bioengineered enhancements. She's the last truly organic person left on the rig, but she's an expert in the arts of self-defense, and she's been charged with training the family's youngest who has been receiving death threats, seemingly from another timeline. Meanwhile, a series of interconnected murders threatens the city's stability, serial killer, or something much, much worse. Dun, dun, dun. Since the book is a wild ride through a futuristic city, in today's episode, we're going to look at historic company towns. These were small towns or villages that were built by manufacturing or mining companies in order to house workers and their families. Think row housing, but in Canada, and in the middle of the field, and near-ish to where the work was happening. These houses were usually identical to each other and were very basic. Basic services were in place when families moved in, but these towns could not be described as fun or fulfilling places to live. Sadly, these towns seem to only appear in the news when the company employing the workers and supporting the town goes out of business, meaning the town quickly becomes a ghost town. 
there are still some company towns surviving today, like Murdochville, a copper town in Quebec, or the famous Badawa, created by shoe magnate Thomas Bada, planned to support the mostly Czech-born workers at his new factory in 1939. We'll post some more information about those towns in the footnotes to this episode. We wanted to look into the history of our own community to see if there might be any important manufacturing links in establishing and supporting residential development. Like us, you probably won't be surprised to hear that St. Catharines does have a bit of company town history, and it's all to do with the Welland Canal. To find out more, we interviewed podcast stalwart, local public historian, and our very own visitor services coordinator, Adrian Petrie. He has studied this very topic during his undergraduate work at Brock University and during his time on staff here at the museum. Enjoy our chat and our mini field trip to the streets of our very own company town, Meriton. Adrian, thanks for joining me to talk about Meriton today. No problem. It's my pleasure. I love talking about urban history. Um, before we get settled in here, though, I've planned a bit of a field trip for us so we can go see some of the places and the spaces that we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Yeah. So is Meriton a company town? That is a great question. And I think that it's important for everyone listening to understand that we'll keep coming back to that question a whole bunch of times because the short official answer is no, it's not a company town. But the long answer is a lot more interesting because of the urban development that the canal and other manufacturing spurred in the town. There are pretty clear connections between the presence of manufacturing and then residential development in Meriton. Even if the manufacturers didn't purpose build towns and homes and buildings and infrastructure themselves. Digging deeper into the history of Meriton, I think there are a couple of reasons it could be considered a company town. The first being the Welland Canal. Of course, most people know that the first Welland Canal was a private economic project and not a military or a government-led project, um, sort of like the Rideau Canal would have been. So the control of water power was really the focus of the project, uh, less than the transportation of goods which was a really, really important piece and a benefit, but altogether a secondary measure in the planning. The locks at Meriton, for about 75, 80 years after the first construction, were considered to be the greatest controlled source of water power energy available in Canada for manufacturing. Okay, so what about other areas along the canal in St. Catharines? I mean, surely there was development right along the length of the canal. Yeah, there's development all along the canal from St. Catharines into Thorold and Welland, all sorts of places. But I think what makes Meriton special is that the concentration and geographical location of the locks and the escarpment meant a greater concentration of manufacturing and residential development in this one particular space. Because all the locks are in that one, one particular place, it meant that there was a huge packing in of all this kind of manufacturing. And because of the location of Meriton right along the base of the escarpment, this geographical location was sort of a, a perfect storm of tons of manufacturing and lots of space, but packed in space for residential development. 
So exactly when did the development start? Well, European immigrants and European descended settlers began building in the area in a pretty regular rate following the American Revolution. But a huge influx of workers came in the 1820s to build the canal, of course. Then some stayed to work in manufacturing. But the canal projects needed a huge amount of labor, as you can imagine, to accomplish the project. And since the Meriton section had a big concentration of locks, the area was well populated with canal camps for workers and their families early on. So in that way, Meriton, or at the time, one of the pieces of Meriton, um, which we usually refer to as Slab Town, was established as a bit of a company town. Slab Town? I mean, that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't sound very nice. And the story goes that it was called Slab Town because the houses, or the, the shanties, really, were built from leftover slabs of wood from the construction. So to our modern 2018 standards, it probably wasn't very nice. Historians seem to agree on a bit of a picture of Slab Town that might resemble a lumber camp or a temporary housing, that kind of thing, with very little planning and very, very near the work site. Um, there's a whole bunch of fun history on Slabtown. There was even, get this, a riot in the 1840s. Actually, there were strikes and riots quite frequently, but there was a really big riot called the Battle of Slabtown in the 1840s. Really? Yes. People should totally come to the museum to find out more about it. So, okay, cool. So is there any evidence of Slabtown life in modern Meriton? Not really. The older parts of Meriton we know today date from around the 1860s to the 1880s. That's the oldest parts, really. There's a couple of lock tender houses um, on, um, on Bradley Street, which are really, really cool and are older than that. Um, but really, the, the majority of what Meriton looks like today dates from sort of late, uh, late 19th century. Um, and that's when the current day factory buildings and some of the other institutional buildings that are still around were built. These physical structures um, are the ones that would have made up sort of, uh, oh shoot, the physical structures that would have made up Slab Town in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s are long gone. The only thing that really survives from the first canal era in Meriton, other than those two lock tender houses that I was talking about, um, is a bit of the town planning. Because of the location of the first canal locks, and then eventually the second canal locks and the canal ponds in relation to where the factories were built. So that sort of determined how the plan was, how the, how the town was going to uh, plan out. So with all that, I think it's time we better go see all the stuff I'm talking to. It's time for a field trip. Yay! Woo! Please let this be a normal field trip. With the frizz? No way! we were magic school bus we could go back in time uh, i would <laughs> it I would definitely honestly was a bit of a wild west situation depending on how far you go back i think like i think maybe 1885 would be a good time to visit meriton because there's um even though there's a little bit of an economic depression in the country at that time it seems to be anyway a little bit of sustained uh, economic activity, I guess. 
Um, so that'd probably be a good time. That's like Victorian Victorian clothing in 1885. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, the story of downtown is a lot. It's a little bit different from the story of Meryton. That's true. So we're here at Sobeys in Meryton, and we're going to talk. A, we're going to do a little bit of a tour around, and to see um, what we're talking about as uh, Meryton as a company town. One of my favorite things to tell people who come for a visit, or like my friends, or um, if they'll let me be a nerd around them, nerd out on them, um, is that like around a hundred years ago, we would have been in a big puddle of water, Lauren. We would have been under water um because exactly where we are sitting now in your car because it's cold outside is uh, would have been an enormous canal pond actually sort of the size perhaps of the parking lot um so it's pretty that's a lot of water um so the lipster cotton mill which is just over there behind us the uh the johnny rocco's building um, was built on the easterly border of that pond and is now sort of a physical anchor in the planning of the community. Same with, um, same with the keg over there across the street. Okay, so where did the canal walks travel through? So first of all, the canal ran through this section beside Sobeys and the keg and then just like in front of us here, sort of. And then uh, it sort of turned left from here and went um, up the escarpment, so uh, to the um, to the southeast. So even today, from the west of the city, there's really only one roadway to into Meriton for this reason. Um, the canal and its massive canal ponds were sort of a water border to the west. It was possible to cross at the locks, but it wasn't encouraged, and not every crossing was a bridge. So the walk to work might be a long one if you have to if you had to cross the canal. This meant f that from the 1840s to about the 1880s, during the height of manufacturing here, pretty much anyone working in the factories were likely living in the same part of town, east and north of the canal. So that's just over in Meriton proper, I guess. Okay. So what about the actual residential neighborhood of Meriton? Can we go and see that? Of course. So even though most of the buildings have been replaced since the glory days of manufacturing, there's still a bunch of physical history that lends to the idea of a company town. So let's, um, we can leave our canal pond parking lot and head over into Meriton proper. We're at the old town home now, which also used to house St. Catherine's Museum. Am I correct in saying the town hall and the downtown feel of Meriton business area is part of the remnants of the formerly self-contained town? Yes, very good. Early maps from the period are specific in planning for the location of canal ponds to the east and the north of the locks, meaning whatever manufacturing infrastructure was built would end up on that side of the canal. So that means that the population who would work for those factories would need to leave, would need to live east and north of the canal. Escarpment side land, though, which is really cool, towards Thorold was earmarked for government land, which was eventually sold into larger lots. So you notice that some of the streets downtown St. Catharines are not based on a grid, right? Thinking specifically of that five-point intersection of St. Paul, Queenston Street, Niagara. 
um, and where it's, you know, it's kind of difficult to navigate a little bit. Um, the planning for Meryton, however, was influenced by the route of the canal, but is much more grid precisely because of the impending labor boom. Officials and industry uh, expected a larger working class labor force and needed to plan for it. So the small lots with small roads to maximize the space um, allows for easy access to the split lots, which is kind of cool. Some parts of Hamilton actually have uh, a similar layout. So in this way, it takes on the feeling of a company town or in my idea of a company town because between 1840 and 1880, it was most likely that people who lived in Meryton worked within a five to 10 minute walk of their workplace. That's a great commute, five to 10 minute walk. So you can see while Meryton is not actually literally a company town, it has a lot of similar features to company towns because of the powerful influence of manufacturing and the Welling Canal. Awesome. Okay, so you were saying earlier that the buildings we see now aren't from the first canal era? That is correct. So the two, um, the two major factories uh, that were anchors in the community back then are still anchors today, just in a different way. If you look at the construction dates of most of the buildings that we see today, and even the old Meriton Central School, which was actually torn down in the 1980s, the dates of construction are well within 20 years uh, well, well within a 20 year time period so the present Lipster Cotton Mill building which now houses uh, Johnny Rocco's and the Stone Mill Inn was built in 1860 and the Independent Rubber Company which is now the Keg uh, was built in uh, 1885 and it was built actually to replace a previous mill the Beaver Cotton's Mill um, which had burned down in a fire and that original mill was built in the 1850s so what I find really cool is that when manufacturers incorporated steam into their operations, um, the mills were able to operate year-round. And so that sort of ended, slowly ended seasonal work. And with that, laborers and their families, and I think that's an important part, is that these factories probably would have employed laborers and like transient laborers, people who would go from job to job, and likely might not have had a family. So with the end of seasonal work in the, some of these factories, you have the establishment of families in Meriton. So you have laborers and their families and they begin to permanently settle. And so other buildings then get constructed like schools, churches, banks, uh, fire stations, libraries, and, and other buildings. So I find it really interesting. There's uh, some really great evidence for this in the churches of Meriton which were all built around the same time. Their parishes were all uh, established in the 1850s and 60s, but their buildings were built a little bit later when the community could financially support those parishes to build larger buildings. So uh, Elm Street United Church, which we're looking at just over there through the trees, um, was built in 1888. St. James's Anglican Church, uh, which is that tall spire there, um, was built in 1892. St. Patrick's Catholic Church, which is just to the right of us over here, uh, was established in the 1870s, and then that building was built in 1898. And then also St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church uh, was established in um, 1876, and the building was built in 1898. So 
all within a really close period of time a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, similar type of building going on as a reflection of the growth of the type of the community not just population so I think what's really cool is that the same exact kind of thing could happen in a company town it's just that there's usually one company doing all the planning in the building um, in Meriton though it could not have happened without many companies um, and it was certainly the community that built itself. So would you say Meriton itself is a company town? So again, this is a really hard question to answer because it's definitely not an official company town. Like, for example, uh, Badawa, um, which was built by Mr. Bada to house, uh, to house workers for his new factory in the, in the 30s. Um, but... Perhaps it is a company's town or a manufacturing town. Meriton would not have developed in the same way with its own urban identity without the manufacturing and the laborers who lived here. And certainly the same type of concentrated development and planning doesn't exist next to the canal routes in other parts of the city. So in that way, it's a little bit of a company town. Meritonites are very, very proud people, so I say this only to support the importance of those early canal-based industries here, that without those industries, Meriton might very well have developed far more slowly, and as more of a suburb of St. Catharines rather than its own town. Luckily for us, it didn't, and I think the community is fortunate to have these unique pieces of history incorporated into our daily lives. Definitely. My thanks to Adrian for showing me around Meriton and our very own company town. I'm sure if listeners are interested in finding out more about the early history of Meriton, Adrian would be more than happy to continue the conversation with you. So send us a message on Facebook or Twitter or email us at museum at stcatharines.ca and he'll be in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Museum Chat Live. It's not too late to join our discussion of Madeline Ashby's Company Town on February 20th. If you'd like to join our Books and Brews book club, make sure to check out our website, stcatharinesmuseum.ca, for all of the information you need to register. The book club is a really neat way to explore some great literature and the local history in your own community. Special thanks to our Books and Brews partner, Lock Street Brewing Company, who will bring some awesome brews to our next session for you to try. If you want to visit the brewery on your own, Lock Street is located at 15 Lock Street in Port Luzi, St. Catharines. Ooh, maybe we should do a field trip to Port Luzi sometime. That's a great idea. That's it for this episode of Museum Chat Live. This episode was produced, recorded, and edited by Sarah Nixon, Lauren Curtis, and Adrian Petrie. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the City of St. Catharines.